welcome back. We've been gone for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you had a, a nice two-week retreat. Was it uh, when it was really cold and that one snowstorm dumped? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, we got all kinds of weather when we were there. Um, it it was funny because we were in this beautiful spot, and uh, if if our little scheduled stay had ran out right when the snow was there, there's no way we would have got out of there. Yeah. Yeah. It was just boom overnight. It was beautiful. Sure. Yeah. We overlooking the water in Gibson's uh, and just also the beauty of the hush that comes over the world when the snow yes. comes down, everything just gets real quiet. Yeah. Perfect yeah. for retreat. Yeah. I like that too as well. I noticed too, when I was shoveling the snow, there's a blue tint to it. I never kind of noticed that before. Oh, so there's, uh, it's, it's a scientific thing. There's like a blue tint. To yeah. Stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. I've, you know what? I've never, never really thought about that. But now that you say that, I, I can remember seeing a blue tint in snow. Yeah. It's like a little, little glow. Yeah. yeah. Have you, have you uh, lived much in like big snow environments or I know you're from down south. Uh, yeah. Well, I grew up in Detroit. So yeah, we had, yeah. we had full on winters when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah, a couple of feet of snow here and there. Yeah, I enjoyed that as a child. I, I lived in some really heavy-duty snow places. Yeah. 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 It was before uh, snow plows, right? You had your own individual snowblower, rather. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there was. I was in one town where we uh, uh, would skate to school. It's a very uh, small, small town. Yeah. yeah. Up, way up in northern <laughs> Quebec. Yeah. But yeah, the retreat was great. Um, it was just so nice to away put away the you know the texting and the email and, and you know, all the correspondence the regular correspondence you know if uh, any listeners out there are considering doing a retreat strongly recommend any kind of retreat that you can do i uh and it i think if you're have any kind of aspiration to really uncover the depth of your pristine mind it's very very hard to do that without removing yourself from the world for durations of time you know and you can start small you can start to get do a three day and, and then add a day a year or something or add a week a year or something like that but the busyness of everyday life just pulls you keeps i shouldn't say pulls you keeps you on the surface so you you can't you can meditate every day and all that but you're really only gonna be able to go so deep because you know meditation finishes and you do your thing and you're pulled out into being with uh people taking care of people taking care of this taking care of that and it's just you know surface until you can live at the from the very grounded depth of your being, which takes a lot of practice, you have to somehow remove yourself from that. And it was just beautiful because I, I, I was overdue for that. Mm. I, I retreated quite regularly for many years. And then the last few years, just to, for whatever reason, uh, I hadn't had a chance and I would felt I felt that and I had felt a great longing to, mm. to, to do that. So it was very, very 
timely for me and beautiful. And uh, one of the things that happened in the retreat for me was I uh, landed at a very deep place with how how I want to teach going forward and how, how I want to have my main teaching focus, which I, I think is uh, going to be Mahamudra. I think that mm. I've been wondering for a while, like, what's my thing going to be? Like my main thing. I mean, what's, what's the thing that everything's, well, everything is going to feed into, right? All the bodhicitta, the loving kindness, the wisdom. All I, and what's the spearhead going to be? Uh, and I, I just landed there in retreat and, and Mahamudra. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. It's going to be all over my website and everything. But so that was one of the things that was uh, came out. And I don't think it would have appeared that way if I would have wouldn't have been there. Mm. You know? And it takes a couple days, right, to sort of yeah. shake off all that. What is the the saying? It's like um, you need to sort of plan it or think of it in terms of a grain of rice or as Monty Python would say, a dinosaur. It's small on the one end, it gets big in the middle, then it's small again at the other end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's very true. You just can't yeah. come out of retreat at the height of it. And so you need to sort of plan the, the, the bookend it properly so that you come in and out nice and gently, like, like flying an airplane, I guess. Yeah. And if you've ever done a retreat or if you're ever planning on doing that, you'll notice that... Uh, there's something about being right in the middle of it, the fat, you know, the dinosaur at its thickest point. Mm -hmm. You're in there as deep as you're going to be. And there's a part of the mind that knows, that has this whole whole thing clocked, you know. And if, you, if you're in there for two weeks and you've got four days left before you're going to leave, the mind knows that and it starts to pull out. It starts to to think about, you know, the mainland, what's happening there, what will I do? And because uh, there's a part of the mind that doesn't really want to be in retreat, in a sense, it's used to all the activities. And that part of the mind is absent for a while. And it's beautiful. You go right in and then it starts to, okay, we're going to be leaving in four days, three days. And then you, you can feel yourself like a submarine you're coming mm -hmm. up to the up to surface and you're and you know at some point you the periscope is going to like break the water and you'll be like and then boom you'll be right up yeah and that's the experience yeah it is very much like that and then uh and i think it's important if you do a retreat to like you like greg like what greg said like allow that know that and allow that and know that your first two or three days you know don't worry about whether you're just going to, like, you're not going to nail it on the first day. You just kind of got to go in there nice and easy, let everything relax. Like my lamas used to say, first day of retreat, just sleep. You know, because usually it takes so much effort to get into retreat. You need some rest. So just sleep, relax, lay around, don't do anything <laughs> for like yeah. one or two days. And then, and then it will start to pick up. The mind will be at rest and I don't remember the first time that I sort of did a longer retreat. <clears throat> I, I had this expectation, you know what I mean? Like mm. something, something kind of something big is going to happen and some big, and I, and I was just sort of clinging to that. And of course, once I let go of it, then I sort of had, uh, you know, just sort of a moment of uh, grace is what I described it as. 
<clears throat> but yeah, that was big expectation. And so that yeah. was good, good. Cause we've, I think there's, I've read, we've read that in a few times, this idea of no expectation and, and so on and so forth uh, is, is really a part of just regular sitting down in any meditation, really. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you say that. Uh, cause I think if I recall correctly, every single time I've ever had one of those moments where, uh, oh yeah. I can feel something coming, right? This this meditation is going to be. I can feel it. I better I better meditate. Something's going to happen, and it never does. It, it never has. Right. It's like I don't know. It's like the going in like that just completely ruins it, or mm. does something sidetracks you, and yet the feeling is real. There's a there's a wind. There's a prana that's moving. That's telling you something, mm. uh, and maybe that. The training would give us the information of, okay, maybe something is coming down the pipe, but I better sit and just not think too hard about it or else you're just putting a block in the pipe. Yeah. I've always thought too that, you know, when you meditate in the course of your day and you have your job and whatever obligations, it's just kind of practice. You're rehearsing, you're running scales. And then when you go into retreat, that's the big show. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't think I came up with that. I think I heard that from some other teacher, but uh, kind of makes sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, well, if you can go into a longer retreat. Whew. Yeah, absolutely. There's the big show and retreat. And then there's what Lama Maru used to say is uh, showtime. It's like when you, you mm -hmm. do your work, you do your meditation, but showtime is like what happens when you are confronted with things in the world that, you know, push your buttons. <laughs> That's yeah. showtime. Are you doing? Are you doing any good? Are your meditations working? Well, let's find out. That's yeah. showtime. Yeah, yeah. You can't care. We were talking about that earlier, not in a negative way, but you just can't be attached or averted to things that are happening in your life. And people try and pull you in. I think you know they want to get you excited about something, or they want to complain about something, and you know get you going. Yeah, one way or another. Yeah. yeah, and that's about. Uh, it's a beautiful thing when your refuge gets to the point where you're pretty unshakable. You know, your, your view is, you know, you're, you have a, a very, very uh, certain, you could say, uh, direction. You know, you know, what's clearly important to you and what isn't, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting really good at dialing down that inner voice that I have oh, Just yeah? in, in my daily life where it's like, you know, whatever, it's that running commentary. Yeah. I, I can just kind of dial it down and just, just be sort of aware of, of, you know, it's almost like, you know, just whatever's happening happens, you know, whatever, see, whatever's in this visual, whatever I hear, it's just what it is. And, uh, but it's always that voice. It's always just kind of like, no, no, case you want to get to come up. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But to dial it down, that's kind of, yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a meditation in, in waking reality almost. Oh man. I think it is a meditation in waking reality. I don't think it's a kind of it. I think it is. Yeah, because, uh, well, actual meditation is really, in its actual form, is, a, is spontaneous mindfulness, spontaneous mindful awareness. You're not really doing something. You know? So if you're walking through life and you're actually able to experience those kinds of you know the hockey commentary going on uh with and not identifying with it and able to turn it down the volume then there's something 
that you're abiding in and there's something that you're not getting involved with yeah. and just kind of cruising through that's meditation you know walking walking meditation if you ask me I, yeah you're still i'm still alert and i'm still yeah. aware as yeah. so it, it's not this idea that you're sort of zombified or that you're not no. <clears throat> what's happening it's it's almost like the it's the I, i'm thinking of it as it's the conditioned mind and yeah. it's like it's like a filter almost and i just kind of pull it out you know it's like okay i can push push it back in and pull it back out <laughs> dial it down dial it up yeah that's uh that's beautiful that's a nice analogy i like that yeah yeah it's it's a lot different than just kind of zoning out right but uh yeah which uh, is a danger right a danger in meditation is uh well one of the chief one of the primary obstacles or the primary demons right mm -hmm. is a uh, is that zoning out and that's one of the beautiful reasons to eventually be opening your eyes in meditation because then you're not separating your meditation practice from your daily life and then that that you know you stand up and that awareness continues and you know it'll end and then it'll continue and then one day it will hopefully continue you know mm -hmm. all day long like you're sounds like a nice description of an all-day practice to me yeah usually i'm i'm pretty my mind's just a chatterbox <clears throat> and even when i meditate it's like da, 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 as opposed to uh the, the laxity mm -hmm. if i'm tired there's laxity but uh, generally mm -hmm. speaking my mind is just the freight train going all day yeah. long doo -doo. Yeah. <laughs> but you're an idea man that's what it is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but uh, so we were at aggregate of compositional factors i believe yeah page two uh, yeah this is part of the five aggregates and this is the uh, fourth one, right? And this is the one with the 51 different factors, right? Am yeah. I right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's kind of an interesting approach to the human, you know, anatomy. <laughs> These are all, the, all of our parts. Like when I, when I uh, was taught the five heaps, See, they call them aggregates. They've, I've heard them called skandhas, aggregates, heaps. Yeah. Uh, well, it made more sense to me when I could find out, okay, it's five piles of stuff that, that, that make us up. And, yeah. and every human has these fi five piles of things. And those five piles of things come together and they all look differently. Each person has their own expression of those things and it's kind of overwhelming if you try to really dive into it and and, and dissect all of these little things when yeah. all of these like if you say the 51 uh, mental processes or whatever they're all happening it's, it's kind of seamlessly and you start to break them down it can be kind of I can see why it could be overwhelming for someone to study something like this. Sure. You know, what's the What's the point? You know, what's the point? Um, and I think it's part of the process of removing this idea that we are all the same. We're mm -hmm. permanent. We all, you know, but really, we're all made up of these different factors. And uh, 
everyone experiences their own in a very different way. And once we can realize that, I think compassion and forgiveness can arise when we can realize that each and every person has the karmic hand. You know, their karmic destiny is is right where they're at. Yeah. And there's all, all this stuff going on. It's not, you know, it's complex. And so when we tell a person, hey, you know, why aren't you behaving better? You should be a better person. You should be, you should do better. You're like basically looking at this mountain of parts and saying, you should be different. You should be more like me, or you should be, you know, you should be more correct. You should be more. And really they, they, they are at the mercy of their, all their factors in us all going off, all going off. And that we, that we project as this like one person. And it's not as simple as there's so many karmas going up. It's not as simple as just changing your mind and just becoming this different person. You, no one can do that. And, and how does the mind work anyway? Right. I mean, th that's yeah. part of the, the, the yeah. Buddha's genius of, of yeah. what he brought to the world yeah. because people just think of their minds and they don't, all of this stuff is, is being connected together. He's yeah. saying that the feelings that you have and their relation to the physical world, the way yeah. that you're perceiving things. And now we're talking about uh, mental formations, basically, right? Where yeah. your actions, that, that you get triggered and then there's karma. So he's now he's adding that into the mix here of, of these. And then that's why you get 51. These are the top 51, I think, right? Or they're just some well, of them, but they kind of seem to cover a lot. They cover a lot. And and in and then there's sections underneath the fifty one. Like um, when I learned the five heaps, I learned them as form, feeling, consciousness, discrimination, and all other factors. So so my relationship with this fifty one factors is the all other factors because we've covered covered form, we've covered feeling, and there's the consciousness, the mental aspect of things, and then discrimination we kind of covered last time. It's like the how how we. Uh, the three ways we discriminate. Uh, that's that's the way that I relate to it. And so then we go into this. Uh, the book describes them as 51 psychic factors. I, I like um, I like to think of it as the 51 mental processes. Make That makes more sense to me. Sure. You know, and um, the first five of the 51, the this book calls them the five omnipresent factors which um, I like to think of that as more like ever-present, mm. you know, the five ever-present mental factors. And so that means that these mental factors, they're ever-present, as in they're always there. And it doesn't, they're there whether there's uh, virtuous, non-virtuous, or neutral states happening. I see. They're there. So you're always going to have contact. You're always going to have mental engagement, yeah. feeling, recognition, and intention to read from the list. And yeah. of those 51 uh, psychic factors here, uh, in true list form, I believe there's six uh, groupings. So omnipresent factors, which you just mentioned, determining factors, virtuous factors, six root afflictions, which is classic uh, Buddhism there. Yeah. Secondary afflictions, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then changeable factors. Uh, I think that's it, right? There might be one more. 
pages yeah, stuck together four, here. I think the four, yeah, no, I think that that's it. Okay. Four, the, that's it. The last four changeable factors. Um, and then these are called the 51 psychic factors. Then after that, there's the non-associated compositional factors. It's almost like he said, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I should put these in too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that, so that was the om, omnipresent factors. What are the determining factors? So the determining factors, so we've got the five. Right. Which is cool. So you've got. Uh, just for one second to back up for one second, you got these yeah. omnipresent things. So you got like, you know, the contact thing. Any 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 way that you touch anything with you, like your eyes, your nose, your senses. It's like the, it's your relationship with the physical world in a way, mm. uh, physically, like, right. And then the mental engagement, right. Any, you know, any any time you engage with an object, you know, that's that. And then there's the feeling. Uh, as a ripening, right? You have a ripening of virtues, virtuous or non-virtuous or neutral um, in response to whatever's going on around you. Like, so we're always feeling something he's saying. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and it, uh, while all that's going on, we're always having some kind of recognition where we see, smell or hear or touch something. And then we have that experience of like, okay, the stone is heavy. Mm -hmm. Right, and then finally he's got the intention in there, um, which is just the simple fact that your attention is being is being drawn to something, mm -hmm. and so this is all kind of always going on, and then and while all that's always going on, then we have this determining factors, which um, they arise uh, kind of you could say in relation to things that arise whether they're virtuous or non-virtuous or neutral and i so you've got aspiration right belief mindfulness stabilization and what's the last one um wisdom or knowing knowledge yeah knowledge yeah um and i really uh i really really enjoyed alan wallace's talk on this when he he asked that question to the students, you know, are these virtuous? And like, is, is aspiration virtuous? Is belief virtuous? Is mindfulness virtuous? Is stabilization virtuous? Is knowledge virtuous? And uh, it was very cool because he, he made this very great presentation on in, in and of themselves, they're not virtuous or not virtuous. It entirely depends on um, like for instance, aspiration, it entirely depends on what you aspire to, mm -hmm. whether it's actually virtuous, but it's an aspect of the mental, we have the mental capacity to aspire to something. Mm. He's also saying here that the omnipresent relates to all, uh, any object, Yeah, but these are, uh, only arise in response to certain objects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. So you wouldn't you wouldn't aspire to everything. You wouldn't always have aspiration, right? Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't always have belief. It would depend on you know, and you wouldn't always have mindfulness. So, belief is a interesting one, right? Because what 
we all have the capacity to believe and it's no small thing mm. like and he's kind of says in here which is kind of cool he says you really only you really only see what you believe which is which is wild because your karmic capacity to see something and then see it as real see it as something that's ex existent it's like you you believe in that thing that you see and suddenly there's oh yeah that's true i believe that mm -hmm. um and in uh i think in buddhism they train you to start to have different beliefs so they're taking this whole belief system that has been wandering around thinking that things are self-existent and that my happiness is going to come from acquiring all these possessions that's a whole belief system and it's very very powerful belief system and the you know consumer capitalism is completely built on that belief system sure and then the buddhism comes along and says well those things are empty of having the ability to give you the happiness that you think it does and then your belief system starts to crumble and then i think eventually belief turns into faith yeah you know this this sense of uh, of certainty that's not belief it's something different than belief well, it seems like that's a human thing that we need i'm thinking yeah. of the, the political yeah. uh, divisions in the world right now and people really need they really want to believe something you know yeah. um yeah. even if the facts are, are not aligned with what they're hearing Mm -hmm. and they just have absolute faith in it yeah. just because they they have that need well it's not a need it's just a way that you perceive reality here well it would be pretty unnerving for a lot of people and you you take the rug right out from underneath them if all of a sudden they were faced with the the, the kind of truth or the reality of wow all of these things that i've been believing there's real no basis of truth to it it's just something that i've been told you know yeah you had a, a great example of it well i didn't you didn't say belief but you're talking about um turning down the chatter you know having that ability to be separate from it and uh i uh i was teaching someone meditation the other day and i was it was very very beautiful to watch them have this moment of oh wow i've been believing my thoughts yeah you know and we do we 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 do they these thoughts arrive and we believe them and they become our reality so whether we know it or not <laughs> we're living a belief-based reality yeah and the way we've been conditioned we accept that as our truth so you grew up yeah. in certain circumstances yeah. certain education oh. certain things happened to you you were exposed to certain media uh you know and whatever things big life changes maybe not and at no point do you ever stop to say to to look at it and go oh you know that those, those are just that's the way that I, my mind's been conditioned it's not necessarily true it's just what's happened to me yeah 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 and if you had 
evolved to the point of, of recognizing the nature of mind, at least to the point of seeing, whoa, this is this is phenomenon. The mind just never stops. It comes and goes, and, and all of my thoughts are included in it. Um, then it would be, I think, very difficult right. for a person that's there to believe their thoughts <laughs> to the point where they would actually harm another person. Yeah. Like, because they had a different belief system. What good, positive or negative, like you could say, I have anger issues because my dad was angry, or I mm. play music because my dad played music. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I think I have both of those. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I certainly, I'm still playing music, but yeah. Anyway, with, with the anger, you know, and you you see you see your you, you take a look at who you are, your personality, and and what you believe. You've it's it's been created kind of without your input or without your guidance, maybe a little. I don't know. Maybe you stop at certain points in life and take uh, stock of, of how you, who you are, what you think about things. But I think the point is, if it can be created, uh, why not create a better reality for yourself? To me, that's what the yeah. whole point of stage of generation is. About. Yeah. 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 Isn't that interesting? Why not? Why not create something that's just a little more fun? Yeah. If you have yeah. that ability, if yeah. you can see that. Yeah. I, it was while the, one of my most amazing guitar teachers, you know, it's funny how all the great teachers of our lives, you know, uh, they end up being very influential. Mm. Uh, I mean, I just saw him as a Buddha. He was amazing. And um, one of the things I asked him one day, you know, what is it? Why do we resist practicing? Mm -hmm. We we want to get better. We kind of know we want to get better. And, and, and he said, uh because we'll what did he, how did he put it because if we practiced we would and got better we would then be disassembling our belief system that we're no good mm -hmm. like we believe that we're not good enough and we're comfortable there so if we're gonna <laughs> practice enough to have that be not true it's like we're scared to change, right? Yeah. That's good to yeah. know your limits, to be aware of them, you know. Yeah. I think it was Barack Obama said something. He goes, after age 50, you just kind of have to accept yourself for who you are. So using your guitar example, when you're young, you could like play your head off or lock yeah. yourself in a room like I've heard some people do for a year. Mm -hmm. And they just play, 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 and they come out and they're amazing. Mm -hmm. But maybe you do practice all the time. You're just not getting anywhere. You yeah. get the wrong kind of fingers or it, you just don't have that natural rhythm or whatever it may be. You know, you have to kind of accept that too, right? Mm -hmm. It's true. Yeah. Things change, right? Your priorities change. Uh, I think I remember at one point my my relationship with music began to be less less about wanting to be better, more about wanting to have a good time doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember I was playing uh, music with this one guy. We were, uh, I admired him so much for this. We were in the middle of this you know, heated jazz thing. And um, it was his turn to solo. And he's playing piano. The band's raging on. And he's just clunking away. And then he looks over at all of us. And he just throws up his hands. He's still clunking with one hand. And he goes, I'm completely lost. <laughs> I have no idea where we are. And uh, 
it filled me with such great joy because he didn't care. He was having a fantastic time. Yeah. Playing wrong notes. And uh, I thought, wow, how beautiful is that? And, you know, as maybe, I don't know, years ago, I wouldn't have seen it like that. I would have been like, well, what are you doing? You know, why are you screwing it up? Like, yeah. I, like, I don't know. I was, but I was like, wow, what a moment. What a beautiful moment. I was listening to a Pat Metheny song last night and the, the drummer, Jack DeJanette is on there. And right from the beginning of the song, he's just, he's in another world. And <laughs> it's, it's kind of a standard song and, and it was, it was all grooving. It was, but he was like, it wasn't, you couldn't put a touchstone on it. And so the song, <laughs> the song ends and you hear uh, Pat Metheny in the background. He goes, he goes, Jack, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. And they all were having a good time, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think jazz is like that, right? If yeah. you can really start swinging. Yeah. Wow. For a musician, there's nothing, nothing better. So uh, this says what to do. What we're talking about? Belief. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, 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 one of the most fascinating objects to me in my life as a meditator has been, what do I believe? Mm -hmm. What do I think is true? And if you can get real still in your mind and start to watch stuff appear and go, what do I think is true? What do I think is real? What do I think yeah. is right, wrong? All that stuff. What do I believe? It's very powerful, very powerful way to go. You know? Sure. Yeah. And especially you say, I'm a Buddhist. I believe this, that, and the other. And then you're out in the world and you say, oh, that goes against my belief, what I just thought or what I just did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So then uh, we have uh, mindfulness in there. So there was belief. Now we have mindfulness as part of the um, determining. Um, mindfulness, I think, you know, it's just simply what are you bearing in mind? Right? Yeah. And again, it's virtuous or it's non-virtuous. You know, you know, are you like, uh, you know, what what are we mindful about? You know. Mm. Are we mindfully all about the world being in a mess because of what everyone else is doing wrong? You know, and then so we're mindfully blaming, mindfully judging. And so that's where you, how you're using your mindfulness. Like you're, you're bearing in mind the faults of others. Uh, so it could be either way. It could be either way. And then, um, or, you know, are you, evolving and growing and, and then are you mindfully aware of the I don't, movements of your heart like are, is your heart closing to someone or is it opening to someone and then that's like a a virtuous thing to be oh i really want to oh no my heart's closing i better open it something's wrong i'm making a i'm making a mistake i'm making an assumption about this person and i'm going into seizure right heart mm. right and that's like that takes mindful awareness you know like so there's all these like a countless ways to be mindfully virtuous and countless ways to be mindfully the opposite you know? sure and i think that's the beautiful thing about well taking bodhisattva vows for instance and then all of a sudden you've got like 165 ways to be mindfully virtuous so uh, that's a gift from the Buddha. Here, here's a user manual. To be, here's a here's how to be mindful. Here's how to use your mindfulness on a day-to-day -day basis instead of mm -hmm. being, you know, you know, 
mindfully make sure someone gets someone else gets the last cookie. <laughs> right, right. Right. <laughs> uh, and then uh, then the next one is stabilization. He calls it stabilization. It's basically concentration or samadhi, right? Mm -hmm. The ability to uh, focus one point. And, you know, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. W what, what are we focusing on? And it's going to be uh, harmful or not. One of my favorite ways to look at that, is it harmful or not? Or is it bad or is it good? Or is it true or is it not? Is like, are you using your stabilization are you using your stable concentration to take you closer to the truth of reality or not you know because the truth of reality like the incomprehensible state of the pristine aware mind is this beyond all concept of good and bad and morality like you're beyond that if you can actually be awake and living there you're just naturally presently kind and compassionate you don't need to be told to hmm. be that and so in a way you've like transcended that you tra you've transcended being good because you're not thinking about being good you don't you because you are that you are uh that that beauty in life and so um if we use our concentration to try and figure out okay you know what's going to take me closer to this reality of open awake open aware and what and noticing what's taking me further away from it you know getting mm -hmm. getting getting mired into like like you like you just said like oh well you know they don't believe what i believe and they must be wrong and then you take this you take your samadhi you take your concentration and you start to find ways that they're wrong and try to find ways that you're right when the actual end game is to be off of that whole wheel. Yeah. Then that's, it sort of seems like it's hand in hand with mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was in the grocery store and it was just packed, you know, and everyone wanted to get their cart, you know, through the narrow aisles and do their thing. And, uh, I mean, it all flowed really well, but there's, it, there was just sort of a, it made you aware, had to be aware yeah. I was no, go ahead. You can go ahead. Or this is, no, I should go here. This, if you were to be the whole time, no, no, you go, you go, you go. You would never get out of there. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Sometimes you just go, yeah, this is where I should go. It's like, yeah, okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The zipper, I got to get into the zipper line. <laughs> Getting the flow. But yeah, yeah, it could be easy where you just sort of, you're not mindful of, oops, that wasn't, that was rude. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or could be perceived as rude or whatever. Yeah. Undistracted focus on whatever may be uh, next, <laughs> whatever may require your attention next. Yeah. It's good practice, I suppose. Just throw yeah. yourself in situations, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was uh, teaching, uh, was it, I think it was yesterday, about uh, being open say you walk into a situation like you said uh grocery store or whatever everybody's got their carts you know can you be like this empty totality can you be this open totality of the whole situation and go okay here i am in the middle of all of this and be present with all of these different universes that have collided into this 
intersection of shopping carts. You know, it's quite amazing. I, I you ever notice like if you're driving or you're and you know you're kind of free flowing, and then all of a sudden there's this cluster. Right. You know, there's this there's these bunches of energies. I like to look at them as like uh, almost like chakras forming. You know, in the middle of the path, all of a sudden, all these karmas, like, um, like the one the Buddha said, every single person sees their own universe. So I, I really love to think of each person is a universe. You know, and when, uh, when someone dies, a universe goes out of existence. Yeah. You know, I thought I the first time I heard that, I was like, whoa, that is heavy. It took me a while to figure that one out, and uh, I don't think. I really knew it viscerally until my mom passed away. And then I realized that, wow, okay. The universe that I was in that she saw no longer exists. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, there goes a the universe. So then your shopping cart, you know, and then you've got 20 universes all coming down into this, into the turnstile. I just, it's beautiful. Or it's not, you know, or, or you're using your mindful shamata to just see this, cluster of impatient people and who I should get there first and rah, you know, get, you know, the noise of the carts and people want things to be on sale. And, you know, those are my bananas. Right. Get your hands on my bananas. <laughs> when I was checking out, I was just sort of packing my stuff and the woman to the side of me took my cart and moved it out of the way. She thought it had been abandoned or something. Oh yeah. You know? And then I, I kind of just walked over and took it back. She goes, Oh, I'm so sorry. And then I, I went, how dare you, ma'am? Oh, <laughs> Kind of joking. <laughs> oh man, it's nice. Did you did you get a chuckle out of her? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> oh, you know, I was at IKEA once and someone stole my cart. You know, and that funny enough, um, I had some stuff in the cart. You know, I don't, I really, go, I rarely go there, so it's, it's you know, I mean, you need Google Maps in there. It's inc- it's it's, it's, it's crazy, and I'm all yeah. I'm always lost when I go there. Try um, backing out of it. Like, don't go all the way through. Try to get out the way you came in. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. And I had this cart with a few things in it. Like, I don't know, a little rug or something and some stuff. And I, I'm thinking, and I went to get, I think it was a pillow, you know, and I came back, had this cheap white Ikea pillow, you know, like $11. It's the only Ikea could do, you know. And uh, I'm walking around. Where's my cart? I swear I have my cart here. And then I noticed the stuff that was in my cart is like out of the cart. Oh, jeez! And uh, a woman is, has the cart, and she's and she's walking away, and her eyes meet, <laughs> and I know she knows, and she knows that I know. But I, I wasn't gonna. I just kind of let it go and thought, "Wow, this is a this feels weird." And that's weird, <laughs> you know. And she just kind of went away, scuttled away, and she had a kid with her. And I wasn't going, hey, it's my cart, lady. You know, I just thought, okay, wow. And that's the beautiful thing about Buddhism, because then you can say, well, yeah, well, this is my, this is my karma. What, you know, what, this is the teaching. This is what, you know, what? I mean, what have I done? Previous uh, lifetime, I took someone's yeah. cart. Took someone's cart, yeah. You know, I, I, took, I did something in my life to, to give someone the feeling I'm having right now which was basically mostly confusion. <laughs> confusion and, uh, you know, kind of amazed, you know, that someone would even do that. But mm. it's pretty crazy out there yeah. anymore. You know, yeah. these fights on airplanes and yeah. 
I was watching some comedian. He was saying that the airlines should start uh, advertising them, like you know, <laughs> those, fight, uh, are those called MMA fights or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it goes. It was, you know, as, as opposed to you have these trained professionals fighting in a cage, <clears throat> you have a bunch of untrained professionals fighting in a tube. <laughs> right, untrained, untrained. Uh, yeah, it could be a whole YouTube channel. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, um, so how do these, is there, is that the well, there's one, one more knowledge, yeah. which, or, or, or wisdom, you know, wisdom, which is, right. uh, you know, knowing how the world works. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, the, having the correct view of yeah. reality. Well, you know, he's, he, in a book, he says there's knowledge and there's wisdom and, uh, or an intelligence, right? Uh, so it's, it's not really going to be wisdom if it's, if it's just simply knowledge. Uh, and in the book, he, he says like, there's kind of like three levels of knowledge in a way. And it's like the knowledge that you learn in mm. life and you kind of decipher reality and come to a conclusion. And then he says, there's also um, like a, someone who doesn't know how reality works, then their knowledge is actually incorrect. Mm. Right. Their their knowledge of how, you know, a Buddhist would say, uh, believing that the beauty of the person is inherent in that face, right, would be a knowledge about that face, which would be a mistake. You'd be like, right. oh yeah, that. And then, and then he says, well, then there's, but then there's the the other kind of knowledge, which is wisdom, which is more of a of a virtuous kind of knowledge. And so, how do you, how do you use your knowledge? Like, where is your knowledge? take you and how is it how is it used and eventually you it would be the ultimate expression of it which would be prajna or wisdom you'd like see emptiness directly or something then you'd have like true knowledge of reality so when he says these are the aggregate of compositional factors it's the the types of mental actions that produce karma right is that an accurate description of compositional factors yeah <clears throat> compositional factors which create mm. mental actions which uh, mm. we have contact mental engagement then we have a feeling about it mm-hmm. and uh here again aspirations belief mm-hmm. and so forth but then ultimately we're talking about the idea of karma here mm-hmm. Like yeah, it's, it's kind of absolutely. runs throughout it. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, they they talk about that in like the five forces of uh, or the five ways. Or there's the, I lose track of those. The four factors, the five things. You know, <laughs> but then how to actually what what is involved in producing like a perfect karma? You know, it's like uh, knowing right, knowing what the object is. Uh, what your motivation is, like why you did it. Like if you, they say the, uh, um, if we take the example of, I don't know, stealing, mm-hmm. you know, di- you know di- did, do you know what you stole? Did you see yourself do it? Uh, were you glad you did it? What was the motivation? And every part of that comes into play as to how strong the karma is. So yeah, I think that you're right, that it it is all uh, one way or another uh, involved in the pr- production of 
karma that's well they say the production of karma just keeps you in samsara but if you can turn that into merit then it takes you out of samsara yeah i remember when i you first taught that years ago uh, <clears throat> and just thinking well you know most people just think of karma and they don't it's a very basic thing but they're like saying no no there's all these other parts to it yeah yeah for sure i think what was mind-blowing to me was when i really got a good sense of you can you can do nice things to for people but it won't necessarily get you out of samsara it could just give you a nicer samsara you could have a rebirth and have a nicer samsara because if you if you're not doing it with this viewpoint of how karma works yeah then it doesn't ripen and give you the fruition of the awareness that or, or you'd say the perception of yourself as a buddha mm -hmm. you'll still have a perception of yourself as something impure as long as your acts are impure it just goes on and on i think that's a that's a difficult thing it, mm -hmm. it sounds sounds nice i think we'd all like to believe that but if if you have to come to believe that about yourself that you have buddha potential yeah um yeah there's there's a lot that you probably have to to go through mentally to try and yeah. get to that spot that you even think that it's possible yeah i i think it's a uh, uh helpful to think how can i see ultimate reality directly in this life because mm -hmm. If you can get through that gate, yeah. then you know that you can become a Buddha. Until then, you don't really know. And you don't really know what wisdom is. And it's all kind of starts to become this strong faith based, and your ref, refuge increases and your renunciation increases. So I think it makes sense to point all your uh, power into becoming still-minded understanding you know uh, like you say well believe meditating on what you believe what you're assuming and seeing how you know we're painting we're filling in the gaps of life with our own painting you know we're throwing paint on things with our karma and then getting there and then you can get that enough and get enough kindness and momentum you can push through that gate see emptiness directly and then you don't have to worry about believing it or not believing it anymore because you're you're past that.